Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and uh, we've got, I think, a, a different and very powerful interview for you today. Um, we're going to be talking about money, but we're going to be talking about money from a very different angle. And uh, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview today. I'm talking with Susan Laster-Lyons. Susan is an investor. She's a serial entrepreneur, an author, and an investment coach. She's the publisher and founding editor of TheIncomeInvestors.com and CanInvestorLab.com. Uh, and she's just had a, an incredibly long career helping people become financially secure. Um, and, uh, and she's got all kinds of accomplishments, that, you know, beginning with founding and managing a private equity fund that delivered gains of, of uh, over a million dollars to her investors, an average of almost 13% return. Uh, she advises real estate investors that just does all kinds of things related to taking money and making the money work for you. And, uh, and we're going to dive into that today. And I think it's going to be really powerful for everybody listening. Um, because as she told me before we got started, a lot of entrepreneurs have this big problem where we keep pump, pumping all the money that we make back into our businesses. And uh, we're going to talk about maybe what you should think about as an alternative. So Susan, welcome. Uh, really excited to have you here today. Thanks, Steve. I'm super excited to be here with you. So uh, before we kind of dive into things, give us a little background on you. I mean, we heard a little bit in the bio and you've done some, some pretty impressive things, but how did you get to the stage of your career? <laughs> um, the most twisted path that you can probably imagine. I think that probably is the shared experience for most of the people uh, that are listening to this. But yeah, I mean, started, I mean, way back in the day, I was um, the car rental girl, right? I started working for a dollar rent a car when I was a sophomore in college and I stayed there for five years and then I walked across the street one day to Hertz rent a car and I worked my way up the corporate ladder at Hertz till I landed at the corporate headquarters in Park Ridge, New Jersey, which was a very different place to be for a girl but from Colorado. And um, I kind of you know, follow the corporate path just mainly because that was the path that was in set out for me. Kind of my grandmother, you know, was a depression era person and she kind of had that whole scarcity mindset. And that was kind of indoctrinated into me that you need to go to work for somebody else and you need to stay there forever. And then you need to retire with a pension and a gold watch. And that's the safe route. And so I was very much um, on that path until I kind of, the way that I summarize it is that I climbed to the top of the the tower and took a look around and realized that I really did not like what I saw. So I decided to leave Hertz and came back to Colorado and uh, went to work for myself. I still have no idea <laughs> what even like possessed me to think that I could do that. Um, but I had been investing in real estate on the side and doing some uh, investing in the stock market because I was very fortunate to work at Hertz when uh, they went public, when they were a wholly owned subsidiary of Ford and Ford spun us off. And so as an employee, I was able to uh, participate in the IPO and uh, make quite a, a bit of money from that. And that was kind of my golden parachute out of there. Um, but I just decided, you know, I want to go all in on real estate investing. And the one thing that trips up every single real estate investor is the money, right? How to get the capital and get the funding that you need to acquire the properties and fix them up. And so um, I went to work uh, learning the mortgage business and I opened up my own mortgage firm and 
we served real estate investors exclusively in and around Denver, Colorado. And uh, I was just acting as a broker. And then I realized that the real power was in managing the capital. So I went out and started pitching investors to invest in a private equity mortgage fund that I put together. And we used that money to make short-term loans to real estate investors who were going to be fixing and flipping properties in our area. And everything was going great until 2008 happened. And in the United States in 2008, uh, the mortgage industry crashed and it took the real estate uh, market down with it. And it took you know, a good portion of the American economy down with it. And some people are still struggling to recover from that. Um, so I kind of saw the writing on the wall, realized that what I was doing, my model specifically in lending to uh, real estate investors was not going to be sustainable in that environment. So I decided to close the mortgage company, close the fund. And then I decided to just start teaching real estate investors how to raise capital for themselves. So instead of kind of handing them the fish, Greg kind of adopted this philosophy of I'm now my mission is to teach them how to fish so that they can be self-sustaining and they'll always have access to the capital that they need. Um, and then that kind of became my, uh, my business for several years until just a couple of years ago. And I switched up the model, decided that um, I really wanted to start teaching, uh, investing in a different way uh, that wasn't specifically focused on real estate. Uh, and I had a, a situation, a personal tragedy in my life that kind of gave me that aha moment that we all get every once in a while that made me realize, okay, I, it's a, an important time for me to change this path. And so we switched up the path about, well, just under two years ago uh, to do what we're doing now with the Lasseter Publishing Group, where you know we are a financial publisher providing actionable research, training, and alerts now to independent investors. So it's been a winding path, <laughs> kind of a crazy journey. Uh, but the lessons learned along the way have just have been spectacular. And honestly, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, it's a fa fantastic story. It's funny how we all, we all take these winding little roads, you know, particularly entrepreneurs, I think. We take these crazy little winding roads and it's, you know, there, there's never, and I've done a hundred plus of these interviews, there never seems to be this straight line path for anybody. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's just the, the nature of, of kind of the entrepreneurial personalities. We just bump into a lot of walls and turn and go a different direction or what. But, uh, so, uh, well, I think it has something to do with one of our best traits, and that might be adaptability. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I think that, that plays a big factor in there. And I know it's played a big factor in, in my journey. You know, when, when you bump up, you know, it's like being in a pinball machine when you're the pinball, unfortunately. And you just kind of get bounced around from thing to thing and you realize, okay, this, this isn't working and this is an obstacle. And so how do I overcome this obstacle? And you kind of get bounced to the next thing. And so you just adapt, right? And I think eventually you land on some semblance of something that makes sense to you. And hopefully, you know, it's going to, um, uh, going to set your soul on fire a little bit so that you can, uh, you can you can do something that you really love that really adds value not only to your life but to uh, the people that you serve. Well, you you've kind of beat me to the punch on my next question, which is you know when you run into these brick walls and and have to adapt and kind of go go in a different direction. How, how have you approached that? Um, you know what what is what are some of your thinking processes? Maybe some of the mindsets you've used to to really be able to move and adapt and and not get stuck? That's such a great question. Um, and I think that 
One of the answers and one of the examples that I can give kind of lies in the story where I closed my mortgage company. Uh, that was, it was a huge deal. I mean, that was my business. I had it for eight years. Uh, the fund, it was a multi-million dollar fund. Uh, we had just, you know, we'd done thousands of transactions out of there. And when I shut it down, it wasn't just, okay, I'm going to close the door and shut off the website and it's just me. You know, I had employees and I had clients and I had investors and we were all in on what we were doing. And I felt that the demise of my business was because of external forces, right? It wasn't anything that I did to crash out the business. The business was a great business until it wasn't. And it wasn't for reasons that were beyond my control. And I think that feeling powerless like that was probably the most shocking thing of all for me because, you know, as entrepreneurs we and business owners, right, we are always the ones that are in control. We call the shots and we make the decisions. And so I found myself in a situation where, okay, I'm reacting now as opposed to, you know, um, taking an offensive approach and, and uh, acting before the fact. And uh, this whole reactive situation that I found myself in was very foreign to me. So um, what it really boiled down to was close the business in the most responsible way possible. And I'm very, still to this day very proud of the fact that we got every single loan that was active in our fund refinanced and paid off. And every single one of our investors made money, right? Not Nobody lost a single penny when we were shutting that thing down and winding it down. And I'm still in that environment, just so proud of that when I look back. Um, and I closed the, the business, laid off my employees. And then the first thing that I did, and I think this is probably the most important thing that, uh, that you should consider doing when you find yourself uh, experiencing challenges and obstacles like that is I took a trip to Mexico and I laid on the beach and I drank margaritas and I cried and I drank more margaritas and then I cried more and I drank more margaritas and I cried even more. And then pretty soon uh, the crying <laughs> was less. And, uh, the hangover got worse and I realized, okay, time to pull yourself together and figure this thing out. So for me, the way that I overcame that was to just ask myself, what's, what's going to be the next step? I don't have to plan out like the next giant empire. I just have to figure out what my next step is going to be. And for me, that always comes from looking at how I can serve. So the people that I've been serving and been working with were real estate investors. And the problem that my business had been solving for them was their inability to access funding. Well, I realized that in that specific environment, that that was not going to get any better for them. It was only going to get worse for them because now no banks were making loans to real estate investors because those loans were considered subprime. And that was the thing that was getting shut off. So I knew that if they were going to stay in business and they were going to continue to be able to grow their businesses, that... I couldn't just, you know, kind of going back to the metaphor I used before, I couldn't just continue to hand them the fish because I didn't have the fish to hand them anymore. I had to teach them how to do it for themselves. And I knew that I had a special skill that I could systematize and teach in such a way that people could understand it and they could implement it and they could have success with it. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So um, I think that the two points are, you know, kind of go easy on yourself. If something happens, just take the time that you need to kind of grieve 
right? And that's really what the crying and drinking in Mexico was, I think. It wasn't, oh, I'm so sad, you know, that, uh, that, my, that my financial life is in jeopardy, right? Because I had to shut my business. It was more grieving for the loss of the business because that had been my life for so long. So I think first, you know, take some time to kind of mourn that. And the second thing is just figure out, you know, the next step. It doesn't have to be the next giant plan. It just has to be the next step. And the way I think that you really figure out what that next step is, is by figuring out what is your special skill? What is the thing that you bring to the table that's completely different from anybody else? And is it a skill that's valuable enough that you can turn into some sort of a business where you continue to you know, further your relationship with clients and you know, help them in even a deeper manner uh, solve the biggest problem in their businesses? And, you know, I kind of have followed that plan over and over and over again as I kind of bounce around, uh, you know, both listening to the needs of my clients and, you know, honestly listening and, uh, and realizing that my own needs occasionally change as well. And going through that same process and making those changes that really just all come down to adaptability, I think. Yeah. And I, I you know, it, it's interesting because I, I see business owners get bounced around. I told you before we started recording that we're, you know, our role is often part, part marketing help and, and strategy and part entrepreneurial therapist. So, so I hear a lot of things from business owners and um, you know, it's so hard sometimes for them to, when something like that happens to step back and see where they create value um, that might be different than the label that they put on on themselves. You know, exactly. I'm in this business, I'm in this industry. It's, and, and if I can kind of read between the lines with what you just shared, that space you created allowed you, I think, and tell me if you agree with this or not, but I would imagine that allowed you to step out and sort of observe things a little bit with, you know, tequila and a little bit of distance you know, <laughs> exactly. uh, to get clarity. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's that's a that's a spot on read for sure. Well, I, I, that to me that we could stop the interview right here because that was worth you know the price that everybody paid to listen to this and and. <laughs> but I do want to I want to take a quick break. I want to come back and um, I, I want to dive into the way that you're helping business owners get kind of a handle on on their finances and and the wealth that they're building. Um, because I think that's a particular problem that a lot, of, a lot of people aren't really talking about. So we'll be right back with more from Susan Lester-Lyons. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net, forward slash iTunes. You can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Gordon, and I'm talking with Susan Laster-Lyons, and we're going to switch gears here a little bit. And Susan, I know you you work with folks on um, your particular approach to investing, which, you know, I'd love for you to tell us about, but um, I know you sort of have this sort of, uh, you have a mission around kind of communicating to entrepreneurs about 
where they're building their wealth, where they're keeping it, how, you know, are they reinvesting everything back in the business and all that. So tell us a little bit about your viewpoint there and, and how it might impact the people listening. Yeah, love to. So, you know, at Lasseter Publishing Group, we are a financial publisher and we are focused primarily on income investing and growth investing. And I think my fundamental investment thesis is it can kind of be summed up in an 80-15-5 bucket strategy, right? So I firmly believe that 80% of my money should be invested in investments or securities or whatever you want to call them, both in the public and the private markets that pay me some form of income, whether it's a dividend, distribution, interest, what have you. 15% of my portfolio I allocate to value investments, you know, things that I think are going to grow and uh, be able to put off a capital gain as opposed to like a dividend yield. Uh, and then 5% is, that's kind of the fun, that's the fun bucket, right? Where we, I call it my speculative growth bucket. I allocate about 5% of my total portfolio to these very speculative growth stocks. And that's where Canvestor Lab comes in. And, you know, the question that you asked me is the question that so many people ask me is like, oh my gosh, like how do these two things go together? On the one hand, you know, you're writing and teaching about income investing. And on the other hand, you're encouraging people to invest in pot. Like, what the heck is even going on here? But I think that there's a place for all of this in uh, everybody's portfolio. So that's kind of the, my overarching philosophy with regard to this, but specifically as it relates to entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I mentioned that I had been super focused on real estate, and I, that was my business. I was in the business of teaching real estate investors how to raise capital, how to utilize that capital, how to structure the deals to best utilize the capital and, you know, get extreme profitability both for themselves and their projects and for their investors so that they continue to reuse that money and, and gain credibility and, you know, grow their businesses. Then January 4th, 2017 happened and my mom passed away unexpectedly and suddenly she wasn't sick. She, there was nothing. She just died the best that we can figure of a cardiac arrest and I set about, you know, kind of settling her affairs. And to say that I was stunned at what I discovered would be the understatement of the century. When my mother died, she literally had less than $200 to her name. And she was 76 years old. Now, I knew that, you know, she wasn't rich. Uh, we weren't rich. I mean, we grew up kind of poor. Um, and I had been, you know, helping her and subsidizing her income and we'd buy her groceries and pay for a lot of her utilities and stuff. And, but I, she was very secretive about money and I never really understood exactly what was going on. And when I saw that, it was, that was my big, you know, and I, it, Hey, it was my Oh shit moment. And I use that word on purpose because it's shocking, but because I, that was the impact that I felt like I was stunned to discover that. And I kind of zoomed out and thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is the path that I'm on. I'm spending all of my time teaching other people how to generate wealth and reinvesting like a good majority of my income back into the business. And if I'm being honest, probably living above my means, right? We had a million dollar house that was tricked out that, you know, and there were two of us and two, I'm like, what are we doing? And, you know, a 5,000 square foot home, we don't need this. 
Um, so it forced me to kind of step back and take a look at myself because I saw it, I kind of got this little mind movie, a vision of, oh my gosh, this could be me in 20 years. And that can't be me in 20 years. So um, I took a look at my portfolio, which really at that point wasn't a whole lot. It was, you know, definitely overweight in real estate related investments. Uh, so if there was going to be another real estate crash, I was going to be taken out forever. Um, and I thought, you know, how can I invest so that I can get um, the biggest return and the biggest bang for my buck in terms of compounding? Because I need a fast return and I need a compounded return because I have some time that I need to make up now. I mean, I'm 53 now. I'll be 54 in a couple of months. Um and so I've created this, I created a 15-year plan for myself based on like a target yield and the amount of money that I'm starting with and how much I can allocate to that going forward. And it's going to get me where I need to be in retirement to be able to have a kick-ass lifestyle uh, as long as I follow that plan. Here's the problem I see with entrepreneurs and business owners, uh, because that's my peer group, right? This isn't just kind of an outside observation like you. You know, I talk to these guys all day long. We're so caught up in our own business and in serving others that sometimes we forget to really take a look at what's happening in our own financial lives until sometimes it's almost too late. So the income investors was built specifically to just teach people to invest the exact way that I'm investing. And that is to invest in public and private market opportunities we have like 12 different categories or strategies that we invest in, ranging from dividend stocks to uh, you know, royalties to baby bonds to uh, revenue participation crowdfunding opportunities. Um, we just allocate our money and send it out into the world with strict orders to you know, don't come back until you have more money with you. And you know, we set a target goal and people come in and we have younger folks who are like, wow, you know, I get the benefit of time to end compounding to be able to grow this plan and this is gonna be easy peasy. We have people that are coming in that are like in their 60s who are, who are like me and you know, need to make up uh, some return and some time and they need to uh, get something happening rather quickly uh, because retirement is looming and they're able to successfully build these shorter term plans uh, very focused on, you know, making sure that the money that they put out into the world is earning income. So I, I'm all in on this income style of investing. And I have about 80% of my personal portfolio allocated this way. And I would really recommend to entrepreneurs and small business owners, um, if you're not currently doing something with your money, or if even worse, right, you're just kind of blindly pumping it into, you know, a, a a 401k or a step IRA like I was uh, and just kind of plopping it into whatever mutual fund is available, you're really not doing yourself any favors. There's so much more that you could be doing and so much more that you could be earning and so many more ways that your money could be growing so that you, uh, that you do have that financial security in retirement that you know, this is my mission now. And I love getting the younger people, but I have to be honest, Steve, when I, you know, talk to an older entrepreneur who comes to me kind of in a situation like I'm in, or I was in a couple of years ago, saying, okay, I have my aha moment and I need to make something happen very quickly. Uh, I love getting my hands on those types of people and helping them build a plan so that they do have a plan, first of all, uh, and an adaptable plan 
because this is uh, income investing. Uh, one of the things I love to say about it is that this is the, uh, it's almost like the anti-fragile portfolio, if you're familiar with that. Uh, you know, the, the very famous book, uh, in, in anti-fragile just basically means not something that's just resilient, it actually means something that gets stronger under stress. And so income investing, when markets crash and share prices tank, our income increases <laughs> because there's an inverse relationship between yield and share price. So I'm like, I want to get the highest amount of income possible because these are all my paychecks. I'm putting my money out into the world and it's earning and I get paycheck after paycheck after paycheck. The capital gains is just the cherry on top. So this is the style of investing that I think works perfectly. It's a style of investing that lends itself nicely to a hands-off approach because it's a set it and forget it and a long-term strategy. It's not like we're day trading or swing trading. And I love the fact that it's, it's this anti-fragile style of investing, that even if there's going to be a recession or a market crash where something's going to happen in a certain sector, um, we're going to do better than just being resilient. We're going to thrive. So couple of observations on all of that. First, if I recall, um, and it's been a little while since I've, I've read much of Warren Buffett's stuff, but isn't that sort of his fundamental criteria for picking the companies that Berkshire Hathaway invests in is they, they have to produce? <laughs> yes. Here's an interesting thing about Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett, uh, his style of investing, he's what we call a value investor. So his criteria is investing in solid companies, usually you know, consumer-based companies, like things that people are going to consume over and over, like Coca-Cola and insurance and stuff like that, which are great industries, by the way. So he's a value investor. When, he, when the, the, the share price goes down to the point that he feels it's going to be a good value and he follows, uh, I think what we would call the Graham number, his mentor was a guy named Benjamin Graham who developed this value investing calculation that basically you know looks at earnings and a bunch of other metrics and says okay now the share price is down to the point where it's okay to invest with this so they're deep value investors buying things when they're highly discounted and on sale but he also has a rule that the companies that he invests in have to pay some sort of a dividend now he's not looking for like high yield uh, companies. He's not looking for some of the higher dividends like we are. Uh, he's just happy if he gets, you know, they're paying like kind of the uh, S&P 500 average with I, I think right now is around 2%. But here's the interesting thing about Warren Buffett. Uh, that's what, he, that's his main criteria and what he insists on when he invests in a company. But in his investments, right, his companies, Berkshire Hathaway, he does not pay dividends to his shareholders, which I find <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, uh, so, uh, I mean, it sounds like uh, he wants to make the money but not, not pay it out on the other side, which is not necessarily right. a bad thing. tell you right. about income investing? It says, hey, if it's, good, if it's good enough for Warren to invest that way, but it's, you know, he's not giving that up, that tells me that those, that income is precious. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the other thing that, that sort of struck me as I'm listening to this is that for every business owner listening, they already own about, they, they, excuse me, they own an income investment. It's called their business because it's exactly. producing an income and there, there may or may not be capital gains at the end. Right. <laughs> the, yeah. 
No, it's a perfect analogy. And that is one of our sources of income, right? So uh, it's obviously not a passive income stream, like, you know, the majority of our investments are, um, but it's uh, definitely our, as entrepreneurs and business owners, that is our main source of income for sure. Yeah. Well, and I know that for most of us, as we're building a business, we get so focused on, on building that asset and, and for good reason. I mean, it is probably the thing that's going to create wealth for, you know, for the entrepreneur, but um, oftentimes we end up plugging all of the profit back into the business, justifying it by saying, well, that's just what we need to do to grow to the next step. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting. My first business, I kind of, I took that attitude. We reinvested a ton. Um, and then we ran into like you did 2008, 2009 and, and um, you know, ended up all having to go a different direction. And, um, and so as I build our current business, I take a little bit of a different approach. I mean, profits come out. That's the purpose, right? You know, there's right. The set aside and allocated for reinvestment and growth, but that's different than profits. Um, talk to us a little bit about that approach that most folks are taking and how you work with an entrepreneur who's trying to grapple with, well, how much do I need to keep reinvesting and what do I do with the rest? You know, it's going to be different for everyone. So the way that our system works, and I call it the I-12 income acceleration system. I just stands for income 12 because there are 12 different strategies, income investment strategies that we cover. Um, and it all starts with kind of an inventory and I call it a gap analysis. I mean, everybody's familiar with the gap analysis. We figure out where we are right now. We determine where it is that we need to be or want to be at some point in the future. And then we kind of reverse engineer to create the plan to get us there. And that's exactly what we do with our system. So it starts off with a worksheet where people, you know, they say, how, how much investable capital do you have right now? So like if, if I was just starting this, I could say, well, I have like, you know, uh, $250,000 in a mutual fund and a SEP IRA that's just been there and I just have contributed some minimums to it, blah, blah, blah. Cool. So we have $250,000 to start with that we can kind of reallocate across these 12 buckets. Um, and then we build a um, kind of a target allocation plan. So somebody can come in and it's almost like reading a menu, like here are 12 opportunities for investment. Here is the range of yield that you're going to get from each of them. And so people just kind of pick and choose. They say, all right, I'm going to put like maybe, you know, one fifth of it into dividend stocks. I'll put another fifth of it into uh, revenue participation crowdfunding deals. I'll put another fifth into it, uh, investing in royalties, another fifth invested in uh, business development companies and so forth. And then we just go shopping for the different investments. And part of what we do at the income investors is research. We're researchers and 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 writers, right? We, we publish two investment ideas across, you know, um, whatever topic we are covering that particular month uh, for the folks to choose from. We have about 50 different ideas in there right now. So it's a deep dive into the company, uh, how they work, how they make money, what the potential return could be, what our opinion of it is, you know, based on our fundamental analysis and a technical analysis as well. Uh, and then the folks just kind of go shopping based on, oh, okay, well, here's an eight yielder that sounds good to me, or, oh, this one is a 12 yielder and this looks safe. And, oh, this one is a six yield, 6% yielder. So maybe I can add that for a little bit of safety to round things out. And then it's just implementing the plan and managing it appropriately. Now, the thing that's similar with the way that we treat our businesses and what you just mentioned is our businesses produce income. They produce profits for us, right? 
So we take those profits and it's like, what do we do with those profits? So business owners can take that, the profit from their business, which is the income from that business, and they can reinvest it in the business to grow it uh, and earn more income, or they can take them as distributions to fund their lifestyle or take that money and invest it in something that is going to earn even more money. And I, there needs to be some attention paid to that and some sort of a strategy that's implemented to determine, okay, uh, you know, on a monthly basis, we are going to take X percentage of our profits and allocate that to income investments. Because here's the interesting thing about investing with profits. Your return really is infinite right? I have this system that I call profit cycling, where like on the cannabis side, so I invest in cannabis stocks, they're speculative growth stocks, you know, the, the record of my cannabis investing right now, we have a position that uh, returned us 1,196%. So we had a 10 bagger on the cannabis side, and I was like, awesome. So now I'm in a profit cycle. So I sell just enough shares to take back out my initial invested capital. And then I let that entire position run on profits. So then if something happens to that company, I'm not going to freak out, right? And get all emotional saying, you know, the thing that everybody says, oh, I lost money. Well, what did I, you know, it was running on profits. And if I manage that smartly, you know, and continue to draw down if and when I need to, to kind of play defense with that position, then that's just good portfolio management. But it's actually taking profits from one investment, and it can be you know, a public market investment, it can be a private market investment, and it can be your own business, and putting that money to work, earning even more money. That's where we get that compounded growth, right? The, the miracle of compounding. And we can turbocharge those returns and let our money grow exponentially as opposed to just, you know, kind of plopping it in a mutual fund and hoping that somebody is going to manage it well on our behalf. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, for so many of us running businesses, to, to be able to pull some of that money out and have it growing elsewhere is just a, a great hedge. I mean, as much as everyone likes to, to look at these big exits that happen. Um, I know I've been around small business long enough to know that, that for the vast majority of small businesses, there's not an enormous payday at the end. Correct. The business has not been built to allow for that. Um, and so you've got to do it somewhere else. Uh, if, if you really want to be able to, to fund the, you know, the other portion of your life outside the business. Um, and not only that, you give yourself options. You know, even even if the business does sell, you you've still created all these options for yourself, where um, you know you you get to make a, a choice and a good choice, not a choice between things that you don't necessarily like. You know, um, exactly. And I, I yeah. like having options. Yeah, me too. And that's what you get with this. I mean, my whole goal with this strategy is to arrive at what I call a personal profit, right? So you're, you're showing, like if we look at our own financial lives as like a P&L, uh, like straight up business proposition, um, when we have debt, right? And when we um, don't make enough income to cover our expenses, we're running and operating at a personal loss. When we have enough income coming in that meets 
our expenses, then that's when we hit personal break even. And that's the first key point for us. Once we hit personal break even, then the goal is to go into personal profit, where the amount of income that our investments passively are producing for us it not just meets our outgo, but it exceeds it. Now we're really talking options, right? Because I meet with so many small business owners who are like, look, Susan, you know, this is all great, but like, I don't even know what retirement means. I love what I do so much. I want to keep doing it for as long as I can. And if I can keep doing it until I'm 80, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, great, then you're going to love this even more because being able to work if you want to, not because you have to, I think is the greatest luxury that we can ever have as entrepreneurs and business owners. If I decide at like 70 that I want to take a two-year sabbatical and like, you know, go back and revisit that margarita and crying beach, then <laughs> I can do it, right? Because my bills are covered passively because of my investments. And then if I want to go back and, you know, start uh, uh, serving people in the capacity that, you know, I, I want to serve them into the future until I'm well into my 80s, you know, if I live that long, um, then that's my option. And I can absolutely do that. But I'm working then because I want to, because I love it, not because I have to, because I have to do it in order to survive. Yeah, I, I, I love the approach. Um, so Susan, if folks listening want to find out more about you and, and about what you're doing, where's the best place for them to go? Sure. Just head over to theincomeinvestors.com. So it's T-H-E, the or the, incomeinvestors.com. You'll know you're in the right place when you see a big orange masthead that says, grow your money. So that's what we're all about. We have a free income investing mini course. If folks want to opt in, they can go through that and take a look at the worksheet and so forth that we use. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link that up in the show notes so everybody can find it uh, so they don't have to try and scramble while they're driving down the highway and write that down. Um, yeah. And uh, just check out the show notes if you didn't catch that. Again, it's theincomeinvestors.com. Uh, Susan, thanks so much. This has been really great. Um, I love the approach that you've got and uh, I appreciate you investing some time with me today so that we could share this with everybody listening. You bet. I appreciate you, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show and keep up the good work. I think what you're doing for everybody is just fabulous. So uh, appreciate it. And uh, on behalf of everybody, thank you so much. This episode of the Unstoppable CEO podcast is sponsored by the Unstoppable Agency. That is the agency part of our business where we work with professional service firms and create a done-for-you marketing program. And what that looks like is we actually sit down with you. We come together and define your ideal client with you. We go build a list of those people and then we begin reaching out to them on your behalf to book them as guests on your podcast. We call it podcast prospecting and it's a fantastic way to connect with potential clients and influencers that can refer you and it's end-to-end -end a done-for-you system. And so if that's something that you think might be the right fit for your business, go to our website, go to unstoppableceo.net. You can uh, find there on the homepage a link to a video presentation that explains how it all works. And if you'd like, let's get together and have a quick 20-minute conversation and see if we're a fit. Again, that's at unstoppableceo.net. Right on the homepage, look for a link to the video that explains how it all works.